Good morning, Four Oaks. Would you stand with us? Good to be gathered here in this place. I want to remind us that this morning, it's no insignificant thing that we do as we gather. We, we come because we recognize our, our desperate need to come before the Lord as his church. Amen. To set his word before our eyes, to fill our souls with his strength, the strength that only our God can supply. He is our creator, our redeemer. He's our rescuer. So our call this morning is to come before him and to give him praise. So let's do that here in this place together. I'm going to read from the scriptures as we call ourselves to worship from God's word. This is what the word says. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. Let's read this together. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. Let's do that this morning.
Because of the cross, that our cries for mercy come before the Lord. They reach the ears of our God. And even today, God is near us. Though it may, may seem with the barriers that we have to deal with in this time and in this day, God is still near to us. He knows everything about us. He knows our joys. He knows our failures. He knows our sin and where we've messed up. So we bring that to him. We confess that to him don't want our sin to cloud the grace of our God this morning. So the song we're going to sing is lyrics based out of Psalm 130. And these words just help us, teach us to bring our sin, our baggage to the Lord, to confess it, to wait in hope for all that he has done, for his redemption. So I want us to sing this now as a prayer, as an encouragement to our souls.
to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and let's read, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created.
pray. God, you are the one who is high and lifted up, deserving of all glory. So may we bring our feeble attempt to give you praise and may you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sacrifice of our son, bring it to you before your feet, make it acceptable in your sight. We're so thankful, thankful to be here and thankful to know that you know us and have called us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Four Oaks. I'm Joe Godfrey, Connections Coordinator here at the church. I'm so glad you're here today. If you're a visitor checking us out for the first time, we'd love you to text the word welcome to the phone number on your screen. That way we can get to know you, you can find out more about us, and I'd like to send you a small gift for joining us today. I have a few things I'd like to tell you about as we head into the summer. First of all, we will be having nursery classroom next Sunday for both services. We miss your babies. We can't wait to see them. Our staff spend a lot of time preparing the classroom and making sure it's a safe, clean environment. And we'd like to know your babies are coming. So when you reserve your seats, you'll see a box that you can check to let us know that you're bringing a baby. We can't wait to see you. If you have any questions, contact Shannon Pfeiffer. Also, parents, don't forget to help your children get online at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning for Four Oaks Kids live stream. They'll have so much fun singing songs and learning about Jesus. Men of Four Oaks, we have two 6 a.m. Bible studies starting. The first one is on Romans, led by Grant Abbott and Gabe Peters, and the second is on Titus, led by John Johnson. So head to the hub and find out how you can join those Bible studies. Also, don't forget to check out all things at the Hub related to what's going on at Four Oaks. You can click on a link there to reserve your seats. You can find out what's happening with our youth over the summer, and it's a lot. One of the ways that we worship on Sundays is through our giving. There's three ways that you can give. You can give online, you can text to give, or you can give through our new Church Center app. If you're here this morning, you'll see offering boxes on the walls by the doors as you exit the sanctuary. I want to thank you, Four Oaks, for your faithfulness and giving during this season. You have enabled us to continue the mission of our church, which is to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Thanks, everyone. I invite you to stay with us as we continue worship this morning. Thank you. Hi, church family. We're David and Stephanie Walker. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards in God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. <laughs> there we go. There's the lights. All right. Hey, so glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, whether you are right here in the sanctuary or you're watching online, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Of course, for those of you guys who do know me, my name is still Scott. But don't. Sh- there's my. There's my one joke for today. Uh, happy Fourth of July weekend to you. Hopefully, yesterday you're able to celebrate. Uh, together, you know, enjoying some good food, enjoying shooting off some fireworks. Our neighbors down the street, they shot off some big mortars, and I was kind of afraid. I, I was actually terrified, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed some good time with family and friends, of course, in a socially distanced sort of way. And, uh, and last but not least, celebrating the birth of our country, which is, uh, which is what provides us the freedom that we have to, to gather together this morning. And for us as a steak family, if you guys didn't know this, we not only celebrate the birth of our nation, we also celebrate the birth of my wife. And so yesterday was awesome to be able to celebrate her and, and you know, sing to her and affirm her and love her. Julie, love you very much. Oh, isn't that sweet? Okay. All right, let's move on. Um, no, we, uh, we do love, I do love my wife, and we also love the fact that we have been, I don't know about for you, but I just love the book of First Peter. Um, it has been such a gift to us as we've walked through this passage of Scripture. If you are a guest with us, we've been walking through the book of First Peter now for about 10 weeks, and we find ourselves this morning in chapter 4. So you can go ahead and turn there with me. Um, Last week, if you missed it, we talked about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to live as citizens of what we called an upside-down kingdom, Um, a kingdom that grows not through political power or fame and popularity or through capitalizing on fear, but one instead that grows through humility, that grows through weakness, that grows through kindness and gentleness and love and submission, of laying down your rights for the sake of serving those around you, and ultimately, It grows through our faith in the gospel and following in the way of King Jesus who died to give us life. But at the end of the end of chapter three, Peter moves on and he focuses not just on Jesus's death, but he then thinks about the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he's ascended. And that as he concludes, he says, all angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. And so he flips up the upside-down kingdom, and he submitted himself to authorities, and now all things are submitted to him. And that we are brought into that same reality through our faith in Christ. But as we move into chapter 4 this morning, the Apostle Peter, he kind of anticipates the questions of the early church. He, said, he kind of pictured the, the fact that, hey, Jesus, I know he's ascended. I know that's great and all, but, but we're still here. We still struggle. It's like the disciples who, they see Jesus ascend into the clouds, and then they look around at one another like, what are we to do? We're still here. And Peter, in response to that sort of question, he then gives some instructions here. And I think um, the idea behind what's going on in this passage of Scripture is that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they are tired. I mean, to be a Christian is to be different. You constantly feel like you're swimming upstream, pushing against the cultural flow. And sometimes if you're like me, you just want to get back in the itchy tuck me and get on your tube and just ride down, right? I mean, your arms are getting tired, constantly swimming against the ways of the world, dealing with ridicule and pain and hardship and difficulty, and you're tempted just to kind of pack it in. Can you guys relate? 
Maybe you've lost friends because you're a Christian. Maybe you've lost an important job because you chose to do what was right in response to what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe you've, you've actually been threatened or attacked for your faith. I mean, to be a Christian is to be different. It's to be strange. It's to, it's to be totally set apart from the world. And oftentimes that leads to suffering. It leads to, as Peter says here in verse 4, it leads to maligning and reviling. And as a result, we are tempted to not just pull back, but maybe even to go back to the ways of the world. And so if you're in that place this morning, Peter has a message for us. He starts out in verse 1 and he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Peter, in essence, he says, you've got to arm yourselves There is a battle, absolutely, there's a battle that's raging, and it's not just a battle that's out there in the world, it's also a battle that's raging right here in our hearts. It echoes back to chapter 2, verse 11, where Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions which wage war against your soul. You felt like you're you're battling, you had a battling going on in your soul. Well, Peter says, if you are in that battle right now, if you're in that war, I want you to think about Christ. I want you to arm yourself with the gospel. I want you to think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. I want you to take on this way of thinking that Jesus had. And when you do, you'll be sustained to not only leave your former ways of life, but to live for him. And so today in this passage, we are going to examine four gospel truths that can strengthen us to persevere in our suffering when we're tempted to give up. So that's today's sermon title, Four Gospel Truths to Sustain Us. And we're going we're gonna to walk through each of these twos. Before we do, though, let me just go ahead and pray for our time. God, we just want to come to you with hearts this morning that if, we, if we're honest, if we confess uh, what's really going on, there is a war that's raging within us, a desire to go back to the world, go back to our former ways of life, and, and we don't want to confess to you that we don't want to do that. We want to follow after you. And so we pray this morning as we, as we take upon ourselves this way of thinking, as we think upon Christ, that it would enable us, it would sustain us, that the gospel would transform us to live like Jesus did. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, gospel truth number one is this. Christ suffered to comfort us. Christ suffered to comfort us. Peter starts out in verse 1 and he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus suffered like you and like me. Just ponder that for a moment. Now, when many of us think about Jesus suffering, we often immediately go to the cross. And certainly that was the worst form of suffering for Jesus. But Jesus' suffering started long before the cross. You see, every day Jesus made thousands of individual choices to to obey his Father. He repeatedly and consistently chose the will of his Father over the fleeting 
pleasures of sin, and as a result, he suffered. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was dismissed. He was shunned. He was ignored. He was attacked. He was maligned. He was ridiculed by the world and even by his own family time and time again. And you might say something like, well, well, Jesus was, he was God, so he, he really didn't suffer that much. I mean, it was, it was easy for him. But Jesus was also fully human. Every choice he made to pursue holiness rather than sin required real thought. It required real determination. It required real sacrifice. It required real perseverance. And not only that, but he never gave in. He never sinned. And so, I mean, I give in so easily. And so Satan's like, I don't have to tempt you very much. You give in so easily. But Jesus, he never gave in to the temptation. He endured the worst form of temptation. He had no easy way of life. And as a result, Jesus comforts us when we suffer, when we say no to the world and yes to God. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, just to remind us, this is who Jesus is for us. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. By the way, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who are very tempted, just like the writer Peter is writing to these Christians, and just even like he's writing to us, tempted to go back to, the, to their former way of life. And in response to that, the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to hear that, Four Oaks. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. Jesus relates. And Jesus welcomes you into his presence and says, receive my comfort. Receive my grace. Draw near to me in your time of need. You know, that gospel truth that Christ suffered to comfort us was such a sweet gift to Elizabeth Elliot in her time of suffering. If you're not familiar with her story, she and her husband, Jim, went off to the mission field. They went off to eastern Ecuador for the sake of taking the gospel to the Aka Indians who are a warlike tribe who had never heard of Jesus. But in 1958, when trying to make initial contact with them, her husband, Jim, and four other men from the missionary team were all put to death. And as the pain and the sorrow filled Elizabeth's soul, as she was tempted maybe to, to run away, to pack it in, to go back, Instead of turning away, she ran to her high priest, Jesus Christ. In her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, which I, I finished this week, uh, she shares these words. I love them. She said, If we learn to know God in the midst of our pain, we come to know him as one who is not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is one who has been over every inch of the road. I love that old hymn by Richard Baxter. Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. I mean, what a glorious gift it is that Jesus knows our pain, that he knows our struggles, that he has walked over this road of suffering before us. And as Elizabeth received that comfort, 
she then was enabled to embrace the call to go back to those very same tribal members who killed her husband and share the gospel with them for two years. Friends, know that when you suffer, Jesus suffers with you. He, he knows you deeply, and he's with you every step of the way. Take great comfort in that. So that's gospel truth number one. Christ suffered to comfort us. Gospel truth number two, Christ died to free us. Not only did Christ suffer, but he actually did die. Let's read back again, verses 1 and 2. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, at first, this part um, that Peter is writing is kind of hard to understand. And so let's just take a moment and, and take some time and see what Peter is trying to tell us. He says, Every day... Jesus obeyed. Every day he said yes to suffering and no to sin. He, in essence, as it says, ceased from sin. Doesn't mean that he ever sinned. It just means that every step that he took towards suffering and obedience to his father, he said no. He died to his sin every day. He never said yes to sin. And this suffering culminated in the actual physical death where he finally and completely ceased from sin. He got rid of sin once and for all. He said, Jesus, Jesus said, it's over. It's done. Sin has not won. But the purpose of Jesus' death was not just to pay the punishment for our sin, but it was also to free us from the power of sin. The words, whoever has suffered has ceased from sin, can also be translated, has been released from sin. And so as Jesus was released from dealing with sin, when he died on the cross for our sin, he invites us into that same pathway. He says, you too can die to sin. You too can cease from sin. Romans 6 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Can I tell you something, Four Oaks? We don't have to let sin reign in our body. We can be free. You see, when Jesus died, you and I die. Our old self was nailed to the cross. I mean, something definitive really happened that day. Jesus died so that we might die. And he was raised so that you and I might be raised. My friend Casey calls this the exchanged life. And I think it's why, I don't know for sure, but that word whoever that's translated whoever, that pronoun, it's left sort of indefinite. We don't know exactly who it's referring to. And so here in the ESV, it's translated whoever. And I wonder if Peter might leave it open-ended because he's inviting us to insert Jesus's name there and our name as well. Just as Jesus ceased from sin, so shall Scott cease from sin. Obviously, I don't mean that we're going to be perfect the way that Jesus is in this life, but too often times I think I let 
sin have too much say in my life? I mean, what Jesus did on the cross really did mean something. We can say no to human passions, and we can say yes to the will of God, as verse 2 says. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had for a long time dealt with addiction issues, and he was a believer, but he never seemed to make any progress in this particular area, and he was, as you can imagine, once you become a Christian, you're just miserable, right? When you know what you should do, and yet you do the opposite. I mean, he knew he was wrong. He knew it wouldn't satisfy him, and yet he would often give in to that same addiction. And then the Spirit of God, he said, just woke him up to this reality right here that we find. He said, Scott, I realized that my addiction was my old self. And then it had been nailed to the cross. He said, I I realized that it no longer ruled me, that I could actually say no to it. I was dead to it. I put it aside. It was buried with Jesus Christ. And from that point forward, he said, I began to truly walk in a new identity. I'm no longer a sinner. Yes, I do sin, but that is not my identity. I am a saint. I've been set apart for God, for holiness, and I am a son. I'm forever loved by God. And out of this identity, I am to show the love of Jesus. I'm to show just how amazing Jesus really is in my life. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, he says this. He says, the scripture recommends to us a twofold likeness to the death of Christ, that we are to be conformed to him in reproaches and troubles. We're to to be conformed to him in his suffering. And also that the old man, being dead and extinct in us, we are to be renewed to a spiritual life. I was talking to my, my daughter Abigail this week, and she follows uh, somebody on Instagram, and, and, uh, and she shared this story that I thought would really relate to what we have to say today. Uh, one of the people that she follows, she said that there was, a, there was a bird that was caught in her garage. And this bird was just going, as you can imagine, berserk, if you've ever experienced this, right? And this bird just kept flapping its wings like crazy, bumping again and again and again into the window, just constantly pecking against the pane, trying to get out. And of course, the girl opened up the garage door and and tried to coax the bird out, tried to get the bird out of the garage. And no matter how hard the girl tried, she couldn't get that bird out. The bird just was so focused on the window pane that it couldn't see the huge garage door that was awaiting freedom to fly away. And so finally, her dad put on some gloves and grabbed hold of that bird and, and gently and graciously led the bird out the garage door to fly away into freedom. My friends, my hope and my prayer is that you would see the freedom that Christ offers to us, that we wouldn't continue to flap our wings, Kyle, going back into sin over and over again, but that we would truly fly in freedom, enjoying all the blessings that Christ has for us when we follow after him. Peter says in verse verse 3, he says, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. We don't have to turn to the ways of the world any longer. We can fly in freedom for what Christ has given to us when he died to free us. So that's gospel truth. Number two, Jesus really did die to set you free. When we endure suffering, 
and we're tempted to turn back to the world, we can also remember gospel truth number three, and it's this. Christ will return to judge them and reward us. Christ will return to judge them and reward us. Verse four, with respect to this, meaning with respect to this list of all of these Gentile human passions, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the slain fun of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is a section we, we kind of get a little bit more of an idea of what's really going on with the, the people that Peter is writing to, the issues that they are facing as Christians. You see, friends and family members who had heard and believed in the gospel, they've died. In fact, Peter says that they were judged in the flesh, and that could mean simply that they died physically, or it could mean that they were judged by the Romans and they were actually put to death. Either way you translate it, it's clear that the believers are ridiculed, and they're wondering whether it's truly worth it. And they're also wondering what happened to their friends and their family. Day after day, they would hear the taunts of the Romans just lambasting them for their godly living making fun of them, like, why don't you come and enjoy the things that you have enjoyed for so long? Making fun of them, saying there's no resurrection. Telling them that all their good words and their good deeds really didn't make a difference. And as you can imagine, these taunts, they they just discouraged the believers and left many of them wondering whether it was truly worth it. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, like you were being judged and you had nothing to say in response? Well, Peter simply tells us those words from the Romans, they're not the last words. The last word is given by Jesus himself, the judge of the living and the dead. His verdict is true. In his sentence, it will be eternal. When Jesus returns, he's going to judge all of those who currently judge you, Christians, and they will have to give an account for their behavior And they will be found wanting. But on the other hand, those who trusted in Jesus, those who died believing in the gospel that was preached before they died, they will not be judged. If you notice there, it says that they're going to have to give an account. But for for those who are trusting in Jesus, Jesus has already been judged. He's already given an account for you and for me. And as a result, all those who trust in him, they will live in the spirit forever, the way God does. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he says, those who laugh now will mourn forever. And I think we could add on to that the fact that those who mourn now will laugh forever. I mean, our suffering is, is temporary. Their suffering is eternal. And, and what, a, what a sobering and what a compelling hope that can give to us when we are tempted to pack it in. So we learned last week in in chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord's return should motivate us to share this hope that we have with others so that they will be put to shame, as it says, and that they will in turn trust in Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 15. It says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that's in you so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame to shame. R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, he tells of a a time when Billy Graham was invited to to play golf 
with um, President Ford and two PGA tour professionals, and he, and he writes an account of what took place in this, in this book. And, it, and he said, after the round of golf was finished, one of the, the pros came up to the golfer and asked, hey, what was, it, what was it like playing with the president and with Billy Graham? And the pro just unleashed a torrent of cursing in a disgusted manner. He said, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And with that, he turned and he stormed off, kind of upset and headed for the practice tee. And his friend followed and didn't say anything, just kind of watched. And eventually, when this, this man calmed down after a few moments, his friend said quietly, hey, was Billy, was Billy a little rough on you today? And the pro heaved an embarrassed sigh and said, no, he didn't even mention religion. I just had a bad round. And speaking about that incident, R.C. Sproul, he concludes with this. He says, astonishing. Billy Graham is so identified with religion, so associated with the things of God that his very presence is enough to smother the wicked man who flees when no one pursues. Luther was right. The pagan does tremble at the rustling of a leaf. He feels the hound of heaven breathing down his neck. For folks, Christ is returning. May we faithfully live and witness and even endure ridicule that not only us, but others might see Jesus Christ, that they would be shamed and as a result then turn and receive Jesus who took upon, their, took upon their, himself the shame that we so rightfully deserve. John Stott says this. He says, To live, work, and witness in conscious anticipation of Christ's return in judgment is a wholesome stimulus to faithfulness. When we think about Jesus returning, it's to stimulate our faithfulness to follow after him and even endure ridicule for the sake of his name. And that leads us to our last gospel truth. Instead of following the ways of the world, what should faithful living really look like? Gospel truth number four is this. Christ lives to empower us. So we've got Christ suffered, Christ died, Christ will return, and now Christ lives to empower us. Let's read verses 7 through 11. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember earlier when I said that Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples were left wondering, what are we to do now, Jesus? What did Jesus do? He said, I do not leave you alone. I will send my helper. I will send my very spirit, the spirit of Christ to live in you and to enable you and to empower you to live just like me on the earth. And we see that found in verses 10, 11, and 12. It talks about how this spirit of Christ gives us good words. The Spirit of Christ gives us good gifts. The Spirit of Christ gives us strength to do whatever Jesus calls us to. So that more and more, as we become like Jesus, he would be glorified. If you recall back to 
Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul, in recognizing this reality, he said, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ lives to empower us to live like him. And Peter then exhorts the church to really live like Jesus in four key ways, to represent Christ. He says, pray, love, welcome, and serve. And just real quickly, we're going to talk about each of these four practices that represent Christ. First, Peter calls us to pray. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. As we move towards the end of all things, we can be tempted just to kind of hunker down, right? Or we can be tempted just to eat, drink, and be merry. But Peter calls us to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded, to be vigilant. Rather than live in a frenzy or in a hysteria the way that our world often does, instead we are to live with self-control. And that self-controlled and that sober-mindedness, rather than giving in to, the, to those things of the world that have no restraint, it should compel us to pray. And not just to pray, but to really commune with Christ, to spend time with him. And then not just that, but then to pray for one another and to pray for Christ's kingdom to come on earth the way, or the way that it is in heaven. For Oaks, what does your prayer life look, out, look like? Are you, are you calling out to God in the midst of the craziness of this world that we're living in? Are you, are you asking him to still your heart? Are you asking him to give you peace and wisdom and how to live in this world that's just oh, so crazy? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for us to be united? Are you praying for your neighbors who are lost to be saved. May I encourage you? God loves to hear the prayers of his people. I mean, bring your heart to him, wherever your heart might be. Just bring it all to him. And pray not only for your own heart, but pray for the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage you too, Four Oaks. We have so many prayer warriors. Um, just the other day at our first Thursday prayer, many of you gathered together. And it was such a delight to me just to be with you. You know, a lot of times I can, I can just be tempted not to pray. But then, boy, when I'm surrounded by other people praying, it just enlivens my heart. It excites my heart when I'm hearing other people call out to God, and they're praying for missionaries, and they're praying for our local gospel partners, and they're praying for our city, and they're, they're praying for our schools, and they're praying for one another. What a gift that is. Jesus says, pray. Second, Peter also says, I want you to love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And it's fairly easy for us to love those who love us, but boy, when someone wrongs us or sins against us, <laughs> it's a whole other thing, isn't it? Um, but true biblical love, it extends love to those who wrong us. There's a, there's a, there's a phenomenon that's going on, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called the cancel culture. It's the idea here that, especially someone on social media, when they say something that's wrong that took place maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago, and someone finds it, they immediately publicize it to humiliate them, in essence, to cancel them out. Well, 
the love that we are to have for one another is not to cancel that person out. It is to cancel the sin. Love covers over that sin. Love just heaps goodness and kindness upon those who do wrong. I'm not saying that you should never confront someone in their sin. But more often than not, what we are called to is to simply cover over it. If you have, some, if you have someone who's wronged you, love covers it. And as we do this more and more, we remind one another of Jesus who ultimately covers all of our sin with his blood. Matthew 18, I think it's no coincidence that after Jesus talks about church discipline, where you know, if somebody does something wrong, you're supposed to go to them, and if they, they don't do what's right, then you're to bring another person alongside of them, and that process of discipline, which is very helpful for us. But I think, I think it's really interesting how right after that, the Apostle Peter, he says, Jesus, so, so how much should we forgive? Seven times? Because at that time, the rabbis would say three times was enough. And Peter said, well, seven times? And of course, what does Jesus respond? He says, no, 70 times seven. And he tells this parable of the unmerciful servant who was forgiven a massive debt. And in response, he couldn't cover over one small debt that someone else had owed him. And Jesus says, guys, that is not the way that we are to love. You have been forgiven an immense debt. You've, you've had all of your sins covered by the love of Jesus. And so in response, forgive, cover, be a picture to the world of what love really looks like. Don't cancel one another out. Instead, cancel out sin because Jesus is the one who ultimately paid for it. I know this is not easy, and that's why I think it says, uh, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. That word earnestly, it means literally to stretch or to strain. And the idea here is that of an athlete that's stretching and straining every muscle as they're trying to cross the finish line. This is what we're called to love with. We're to persevere in love with. So Four Oaks, let me encourage you. Love one another. Just thinking about this too with redemption groups. Um, one of the applications of the gospel is related to forgiveness. And I just think about in times that I've had in a men's group where, where someone's just been so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that they just said, I've got to forgive too. Uh, what a sweet gift that is. And so we are called to not only receive that gift from Christ, but then to display that gift to one another. So we've got pray, we've got love. Third, we've got welcome or to show hospitality to one another. The word hospitality literally means to have a love of strangers, philoxenos, to love strangers. And the idea back in this time was when people were traveling, there weren't many hotels, and so Christians were often called to show their love to welcome someone into their home, to show kindness to them when they had no other place to stay. And Peter calls us, he says, hey, I want you to open up your homes and so many of you do that. You welcome one another into your home with a community group, or you welcome one another home to share a meal. I just, just so many times I've been welcomed into your homes and just super grateful for that. Or some of you welcome people into your homes in a permanent way through foster care and adoption. But this type of hospitality, it goes beyond even a home. It, it goes to a, a welcoming sort of spirit. If you remember back, Jesus was the most welcoming person of all, but he never owned a home. But you know what I mean, right? As soon as you walk up to someone, you just feel that sense of, I'm home. I'm welcomed. 
I feel like they're listening to me, that they're loving me. That's what we're called to. It's your presence more than your place. That is the type of hospitality that Peter commends us to and that will demonstrate who Jesus is. And last but not least, we're called to serve one another. Peter says that as each has received a gift, we're to use it to serve those around us. And so some of them, some of these gifts are speaking kind of gifts. Uh, Things like teaching or preaching or counseling or exhortation and others are service-oriented gifts like mercy and kindness and, and generosity and helps and healing and administration. But no matter what, no matter what type of gift you have, the Spirit of Christ enables you to use those gifts to serve those around you. And some of you might say, I don't know what my gift is, and that's just fine. Sometimes your gifts are discovered simply by jumping in to serve. But think about where you're passionate. Think about where, you're, where you just love to jump in. That might be your place of service. Just simply look for a need and jump in and meet it. Now, some of you might say, well, that's, that's not my need, or that's not my gifting. I, I don't have that gift. But all of us are called to show mercy, right? Even if you don't necessarily have the gift of mercy, are we not all to call, called to show mercy? It's, it's not just about the gifts. It's most importantly about the heart. And the heart of Christ, the very spirit of Christ dwells within you and enables you to serve the way that he served. You know, I was thinking about this um, as we conclude our time this morning. Peter says, the end of all things is near. And therefore, pray. Therefore, love. Therefore, welcome. Therefore, serve. And I was thinking about the fact that Jesus also knew that his end was near. And what was he about? Did he kind of cower in fear? No. He went headlong to the cross. When judgment was coming, Jesus prayed to the Father. When judgment was coming, Jesus covered sinners with his love. Even when Peter denied him three times, Jesus said, I'm going to love you, Peter. I'm going to cover you with my love. When the man on the cross was being put to death, he had done nothing good. He'd only sinned What did Jesus do? He welcomed him. He showed hospitality to him, and he said, enter into paradise with me. And Jesus, he ultimately served by laying down his life for his friends. And in the same way, when we follow after Jesus, when we ask the Spirit of Christ to indwell us and enable us and to follow in his pathway, we will be able to say, the way Peter says, in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ and belong glory and dominion forever and ever. One last story just to kind of conclude our time. My dad grew up in Chicago. And in 1959, when he was nine years old, the Queen of England visited his city. As you can imagine, elaborate preparations were, were made for the Queen. I mean, the waterfront was readied for docking her yacht and Lines were, 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 were freshly painted and litter baskets on the street were freshly painted. There was a red carpet that was rolled out and then, then hotels throughout the city were notified, the queen is coming. But when they contacted the Drake Hotel, an older but first-class hotel on Lake Michigan, the manager explained, we are making no plans for the queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. 
See, for Oaks, that's how we should live. The king is coming. So don't go sit on a hilltop to wait. Don't turn back to the ways of the world. Rather, embrace the call to suffer and live for him. Pray with vigilance for his kingdom to come. Cover over sin with love. Welcome one another into your home and into your lives and serve using all the energies and all the gifts that the Spirit of Christ has given to you to honor him. Your life should always be ready, and my life should always be ready for royalty. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning and we confess to you that it is so easy for us to turn back but we want to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and when the things of the world will grow strangely dim and we'll look at the light of his glory and grace as we, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, that is the way of thinking that we are called to and that is the way of thinking that we want. Would we remind ourselves of these gospel truths this morning that Jesus suffered to comfort us, that Jesus died to free us, that Jesus will return to reward us and Jesus lives right now to empower us to follow after him. Would you help us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together, I invite you to uh, secure the elements that are found beneath your seats. Uh, you can distribute them to yourselves and to your family. And when you're ready, I invite you to stand. I'd like to read for us out of Ephesians. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I, theref- I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace reminded through the word today that was preached that Christ indeed suffered. He suffered for us. We are to walk in unity with one another knowing that through Christ's suffering we have been saved. We have been reconciled to God. This passage in Ephesians reminds us of the very thing that we are to walk in as the body of Christ. We are to pursue unity. We are, pers- we are to pursue not that we create the peace we know that through Christ the peace was created for us and so we are to maintain this peace with one another so as we take the body together let's remember that Christ's body was broken and he died for us let's take it together drink together reminds us of the fact that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ we now share in the new covenant that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ in our faith in him we are forgiven and God has made peace with us let's take it together amen see him
before I dismiss, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Be sure to go to Forex Killarn and look at the hub for all the activities going on, the ways that we can continue to gather together. Just encourage you to do so. Also, if you are in need of prayer today, we would love to pray for you. Pastors and elders are here. Come find one of us so that we can just join you in prayer, come alongside you, and walk this journey of faith with you. I want to read to us the closing for our benediction. I'm going to read part of our scripture that we heard preached to us today. Chapter 4, verse 8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, who serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Sorry, guys, I got a little ahead of myself there. Um, Of course, uh, let's go ahead and dismiss our balcony, our uh, blue section to my left, our red section to my right, green section. We will hang out for a little bit here.